So just before the show starts, we always want to try to add value to our listeners. So today we have a free offer for you. If you'd like to go to a URL, which I will share with you at the end of the show, uh, you will be able to download my free book called Unlocking the Hidden Customer Experience. So stay tuned after the show for the URL. Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. So the other day, I was buying some sunglasses, and uh, I noticed on these sunglasses, sunglasses, it said, limited lifetime warranty. And you know when you get one of these sort of back-of-your-mind thoughts? I thought to myself, what does a limited life, you know, limited lifetime? Surely you can't have limited lifetime. I don't know. So well, anyway, I, I mean, I, Colin, I think that firms have been burned before when they sell to immortals. Right. And so <laughs> I think that's just the lawyers stepping in and taking care of things. I think you're you're right. You're always the sensible one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but um so today we we have a guest with us, um, and um, uh, Emmett Sharma, uh, who's uh, the CEO. He's worked for Apple or Apple and Walmart. He's um, regular listeners will know that uh, I love Apple. So looking forward to hearing all the secrets of Apple, uh, Emmett. Um, he but um, Emmett helps over 400 retailers, uh, including people like Levi's. Uh, and he helps them build lifelong um, relationships with consumers after they've made a purchase. And uh, Amit's going to talk to us today about how to build lifelong connections with consumers um, and, you know, do do things in the, the right way. So welcome. Welcome, Amit. Nice. Nice to have you on the show. Thanks, Colin. Thanks for having me on your show. Great. So, um, so we're going to be talking specifically today about uh, retailers, and the bit that that I was particularly interested in when Emmett and I started uh, talking was this bit about uh, an emotional connection, and this bit about you know techno the technological world, and you know everyone listening to this podcast will know that you know retailers like jc penny and sears and in the uk uh, house of fraser has recently collapsed and debenhams came out some well, you know with um with some challenges and that as well so w- w- maybe we just start off by by just talking broadly about the challenge that retailers have between you know the traditional bricks and mortar and the the online world. Where, where, where does that all start to fit together, Emmett, in your view? Um, for overall, you know, consumers are very savvy. Um, they are expecting to interact with brands and retailers across multiple touch points. And um, you, know, you and I, as shoppers, you know, we would like to have the convenience that we can walk in uh, to a store and you know, look around as for discovering products and for our considerations and then buy uh, at that point uh, and we have that instant gratification. As digital channels uh, have emerged in last 10 plus years, consumers also expect the same level of experience, both from the discovery perspective and the experience perspective. 
Uh, however, what has happened is that, yeah, I mean, it is easy now to buy online with few clicks. You can, in comfort of your rooms or homes, you can buy something. However, that emotional connection that Colin and you were talking about, once you place an order, that retailers have underestimated or often ignored that end-to-end customer journey. And that's where the friction points are. That's where the challenges are, as as you mentioned in your experience of buying the sunglasses. Uh, We are not thinking about end-to-end customer journey, especially on the digital channels. So are you are you particularly talking about here the 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 point between uh, you know I go on to Amazon I buy something and then I may have to wait three or four days for that to turn up is that is that particularly the area you're referring to? Yeah, I mean, and uh, you being from the UK, I would say there is that gap, um, the gap that exists once you buy and once you consume. So yeah. you know when you, when I walk into a store, I make that payment. And I get the my goods right away, so that there's an instant gratification of getting that goods. But on the um, on the online channel, that gap exists when I make that uh, purchase uh, sure. and while I consume, and that gap exists. And that's what I'm saying. There is that uh, continued, uh, you know, uh, connection that we have to make with consumers uh, in that shopping journey. Sure. So, so interesting. Sorry, Ryan. Um, oh, I, I was just going to say on. that the um, when we think about emotions and and interactions with customers, the most natural way that we think about it is in terms of interactions with other people. So, was the salesperson smiling at you? Uh, did did they respond promptly to what you were asking them? Uh, when we're talking about online, it seems like we've got an, a completely different set of tools and a set of worries. Uh, that we need to, to cope with. So, like, what what's your big advice for people in terms of uh, movers of emotional um, experience on the online setting side? Like, what what what's available to them to to manage emotions on that side where people aren't involved? So, and that's a really good point. First of all, as you rightly mentioned, you know, if you're not interacting face to face, you know, everything become uh, a number. Uh, or, uh, or a yeah. data point online. So we have a problem that number of visits or number of customers that becomes this number. But at the most basic level, uh, what retailers have to think about is that continue to build that trust and credibility with consumers who are shopping online. Even though, you know, uh, in the internet and, and all the commerce uh, has been online for the last 20 years, it's still nascent compared to how we've been shopping in in uh, in last 200 plus years and uh, in you know in an in a brick and mortar environment so as you move digital uh, to digital channel that um, you need to continue to build that trust and credibility for the next key part is that when we buy something online uh, regardless of the dollar that we spend whether it's a 10 dollar t-shirt or we buy a you know a, a 5000 dollar luxury bag there is some kind of that anxiety uh, that exists because what happens online is that all of a sudden when we purchase that product online, that overhead and that responsibility shifts from the retailer to consumer. For some odd reason, now I am responsible of for finding where is my order, when I'm going to get it, do I need to be at home, can I return it? And retailers are not doing enough in a proactive fashion to address those emotional 
points and you know removing that anxiety and building that trust and credibility with consumers as they are shopping more and more online so so one of the the, the interesting points i was thinking of um when i was um um preparing for this call was in the in the online environment who owns the customer experience and let me just explain what i mean by that so uh, just to your point Amit, you know I, I buy something from i buy something and there's i guess two two interesting areas here i either buy something directly from a retailer uh, who then ships it. Now, I'm assuming at that point they are still, that retailer is owning the experience of the shipper. So if the shipper throws the item in my face uh, when I answer the door, which is normal, um, then, you know, I'm actually going to go back to the retailer and uh, uh, to, to the online person and go, actually, the shippers that you've chosen for this are not very good but but if i'm if i'm buying from amazon it it it, it it's different isn't it or it certainly feels different is that the case in your view so um I, to answer your question um yes uh, the, that retailer is responsible for that end to end experience because they are the one who is selecting that logistics provider or the courier uh, courier company um, yeah. and even from the data and privacy perspective all of that uh, we have a contract uh, when i place that order with that retailer uh, right. so they are they are responsible for that and even even for amazon yes they use their own private fleet and logistics uh, arm but they also contract out to third party companies uh, it just so happens that uh, the standards that they maintain and 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 the services they provide is a lot superior than um what other companies are able to uh, provide so i guess the reality is that if you're more of an upmarket shopper and i'm thinking about if i'm buying something at nordstrom's or if i'm buying something uh, in the uk from john lewis then the people that are delivering it i would actually expect the delivery service to be a better quality as well rather than if i was buying something from walmart or something from asda does that make sense it does i mean uh, and you know even though i'm not an expert in this one and um, and you have covered this topic as length colin um, that expectation around experience and service actually you know increases um, because of, of the amount that you're spending online um, sure and and yes if you are spending more uh, on your product your expectation will be much much higher uh, sure. at that point so uh, i i would i would say you're right uh, in that example so i know one of the areas that that you talk about is um authenticity so can you can you speak to us a bit about that and why why that's important so the way i see my own shopping behavior um you know for me in today's day and age there's so much choice that is available to me um to really express myself who we uh, who I am and what I do and that some of that I do that with the brands uh, or retailers that I associate with and there are plenty of those choices that are available to me and for me uh, besides the product quality besides the price point um one thing that I'm very particular about uh, is you know who uh, who these companies are and what what do they stand and 
you know, uh, to give you a separate example, which is uh, slightly different than retailers, you know, when I go and consume uh, or, or shop for restaurants or food, you know, I do look at the source. I do look at the product that I'm buying in that case is food. And, and sure. some of that has a halo effect on how I consume other goods in my life. And in this hyper competitive environment, retailers have to be authentic about who they are and they need to take a stand. And, and that's what, what I believe resonates with end consumers as well. So, so Ryan, is that, uh, I, I, we, we did a podcast uh, a little while ago uh, on um, conspicuous consumption. Is that, is, would you say that's part of that? What, what I'm yeah, referring I mean, this, to? This, this question of authenticity is, is really interesting. And it, um, I think it, it butts up a number of, against, uh, against a number of different things. Conspicuous consumption would be one um, where, you know, people want to express themselves to others in a conspicuous manner. And if your brand doesn't have authenticity, if it doesn't mean anything, then, then that takes away from that. It also makes me think of micro-targeting and this, um, this kind of new way that, that uh, firms are, are, are trying to create individual messages for individual consumers. And, and what part of my concern with that is this authenticity concern, where if, if you're giving a different message to each different consumer, does it reach a point where your brand doesn't actually mean anything overall are you losing some of that authenticity uh i mean i mean i don't know if you if you have advice or thoughts around kind of the tension between trying to customize your message or customize your offering to lots of different individual consumers versus this uh this idea that your brand needs to stand for something cohesive like how do how do firms manage that in in your opinion yeah i mean kevin from my perspective is actually quite straightforward um, in last decade or so, we are so obsessed about uh, doing personalization from the consumer perspective. You know, we have been all outward obsessed about consumers. What I am saying is that retailers have to be inward focused and focus on themselves and say who they are and what they stand for. And the example that comes to mind is Patagonia. Now, Patagonia mm -hmm. is so authentic about their product and their lifetime unlimited calling uh, uh, warranties uh, on that, that regardless when you bought 10 years ago or 20 years ago, if zipper is broken, no questions asked, you can mm -hmm. actually return it. Not only return it, they will go out of their way of recycling those products, even if that product is not a Patagonia product. So th what they are doing in that example is that they're taking a stand on who they are and how do they feel about environment it is not micro targeting outward focus and yep. that's where they create a cohesive brand um, and 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 hopefully that resonates with subset of uh, their customers that that's such a great example patagonia recently ran that um, ad that i'm sure you're familiar with where they it was a big print ad and, and the headline was don't buy this coat i think it was and it was a patagonia coat and it was Again, it was this argument around, you know, our brand values around conservation and environmentalism are so strong. We don't want to oversell into this market. We want our stuff to last so that we can, it's this more responsible. Uh, and I think that, I think the point that you're, that you're making is that's what resonates with, with customers as opposed to desperately chasing every individual customer on the market and trying to sell instead being authentic and standing for something. And then you will attract the group of customers for whom that is important. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, exactly right. I mean, you have to be purposeful. 
Patagonia is a good example. LL Bean is a good example. So there are plenty of those examples which, in my mind, are not conspicuous, uh, conspicuous goods, but they they do really uh, are very purposeful uh, in their company, their mission, and that translate to their products as well. So, so let me play devil's advocate for a moment. It, couldn't we? Couldn't you argue, Ryan uh, or or Emmett, that the advert that you're referring to? Where they're saying don't buy this, um, don't don't buy this jacket, is actually just trying to get into the whole sort of concept behind scarcity, and you know saying don't do this uh, because actually you know there aren't many available and stuff like that. Isn't that couldn't if I was being cynical, mm-hmm. couldn't I apply that to just the marketing ploy? I've I'm just got an opinion. To play I'd love to hear Amit. I'd love to hear your take on that. You know, my my take in general is that um, companies are in today's day and age are too sensitive to take a stand. Yeah. Um, and you know, without commenting on that particular ad, you know, if you know what Patagonia has done, not only on that, you know, how at least in the U.S. federal land issue where you know a lot of that is going to go potentially uh, up for privatization. They have taken stands on broader issues as well that sure. may or may not translate to their products on their commercial side side of it. And at least uh, there is no uh, ambiguity who they are and what they stand for. So that's what I would focus on uh, in a, for, for companies uh, today don't generally are that purposeful. We're so pleased that you're listening to this episode of The Intuitive Customer. As a listener, we want to offer you a free download of Colin's ebook. Unlocking the Hidden Customer Experience. Take advantage of this free offer being made available only to listeners of this podcast. Do it now. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast and follow the link for the free book. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. I absolutely buy into the fact that you should be going, what is it we're going to be standing for? And, you know, for me, the only thing I would add to that would be, if we stand for that, does that, you know, are we likely to make a profit or are we, you know, will it drive value basically? Um, and uh, But then I guess once you've defined that, and, and again, I, I guess I'm asking this as a question, Amit, once you've defined that, do you then turn around and go, okay, well, we've defined our brand and we've defined these things, right, okay, now who are the customers that would buy this? Now we're clearly going to market to those customers in that way because we know that we're we're effectively sharing values of what we bought what 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 we stand for and what our customers stand for is that uh, right uh, yeah that's right that's right Collins. and from there you know you have three stakeholders your investor group your uh, your employees and your customers and yeah. now that you have defined your purpose and you know your values you you have a much uh, easier job of getting that message uh, and for consumers and customers yes you, you need to market and and uh, and, uh, and then invoke that that same emotions that we're talking about that hopefully resonates with uh, the customers they're targeting sure so so m- maybe I can just move the conversation on because th- there was another topic that I was I was uh, as I started to sort of think about this stuff um, so let me give you a little bit of background um i i was talking to my son 
And uh, this was about 18 months ago, a couple of years ago now. Um, and he basically said, uh, he made an observation, which I thought was fascinating, which was people don't Google things anymore to buy. You, you're effectively Amazon things, which is what I do. So in other words, I don't go to 10 different shops to, to pick out, you know, if I'm buying, I guess it may depend on what you're buying, but it, you know, if you're buying a torch or an alarm clock or something like that, what you do is you just search on Amazon and, and it comes up with the, you know, the various different choices on Amazon. But it made me think that therefore our brand association with those with those companies i don't i mean i i don't know who's selling me the alarm clock i i guess i may have more of an affinity to the to the brand of timex or whatever that alarm clock may be uh, but you you get where i'm coming from it, it's going where does that brand affinity lie if it's being sold by amazon because actually i'm more attached to amazon than i am to the brand that i'm buying does that make sense uh, it, it does. It does. I think so what you are doing, Colin, in that case is that you know, you're consuming two different things. You're consuming, first of all, that transaction and the convenience and the experience around it. And second, you're consuming the product and the expectation from the product there. So uh, on the initial part of it, when you're shopping at Amazon, you know, all of your uh, profile information, your address, your billing, your payment, all is there. You have that muscle memory uh, yeah. of what's going to happen next once you click that buy button. So that that's what I was talking about earlier, that you have that trust and credibility with Amazon that in a product will be delivered in two days or three days or whatever that case um, might be. And then you're consuming sure. that first. Once you have product in your hands, you do have expectation from that particular product or, or the manufacturer, uh, whatever that you bought in that case, alarm clock. And, and then the question there is that, um, where do you have that ongoing uh, experience with, uh, with brand? I'll give an example. If you were to go online, um, a buy uh, from Amazon, you buy a Dyson product. Um, in, in that case, it's a premium product. Your expectation would be not only product which should work at described, but in this case, uh, you may be buying it because, you know, you know, they have superior service or warranties or, sure. you know, after part. So that's where uh, brands need to go above and beyond uh, yeah. and differentiate besides product uh, once once you have in uh, in consumer's hand. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot, a lot of sense. Funny enough, I was um, uh, my my father, who's elderly, um, was asked me to buy this alarm clock. Um and uh, he, uh, I needed to buy him one that was um, that was basically loud because he's he's a bit deaf. Right. Um, <laughs> anyway, long and short of it is, I ordered this alarm clock, and it turned out that he wanted a travel alarm, but this thing that I gave him was about um, I bought him was about six inches wide. So it just made me go, you know what? If I went in a shop and saw that, I would have never have bought it. But yeah. again, part of the problem is just understanding the size of things now. I'm sure if I went back and looked at the listing, it would have told me how big it was, but I didn't pick that up. So um, shopping online does have its challenges as, as well, I guess. It, it does, especially you know when you go into some of those categories, uh, especially in apparel or footwear category, where fit and style uh, is, uh, is is a key element for consumers to keep their products. And that's the reason you see 
returns rates upward of 30% to all the way to 60%. Uh, yeah. And, and, and yeah, I mean, that is a challenge uh, when you don't have that quote-unquote tactile experience with those products when you're buying online. Yeah, in fact, somebody was saying to me the other day, one of um, one of my wife's friends was saying was complaining of the fact that when she ordered some clothes online, they weren't the same color that she ordered online. So the, the, I, don't know, I don't know, the pink was slightly more red or whatever than it was. Um, but obviously, that could just be her settings on her screen. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there are entire. Uh, uh, lists on online where people will post pictures of, of things expectation versus reality where you know they'll show the picture of what they thought they were ordering and then what it looked like when it actually got there people are often so, surprised so Emma, if you were going in w one last question for you um if you were going into uh, you know a a jc penny or um one of the department stores that that have and department stores seem to be having challenges at the moment what what would you what would you do what would you say to them and you know how would you how would you help them uh, you know a couple of things you know as we were discussing um earlier even ryan you mentioned um uh, experience in store is uh you know seems to be very different than online um, how do we still figure out uh, a, a way to connect with shoppers? Um, and, and so that's uh, on the fundamental level. We need to figure out a way to doing that. Second is that continue to you know compete in this hyper competitive uh, commerce and retail world. You know what set of services will actually drive customers to your online stores or or your physical stores? Um, and um, Colin, as you mentioned, for Nordstrom, for example, they provide free alterations uh, or tailoring services. I know there is some experiential element of having a coffee shop or you know, convenient way of returning items regardless where you bought. So you have to figure out besides the product, what kind, uh, what services that you wanna offer uh, so that consumers are you know, uh, able to uh, uh, come and interact online versus uh, in, in, in your stores. And would there be, do you, would you have any examples of that? I'm just thinking if somebody sitting, listening to this podcast from a, you know, a practical sense says, you know, okay, well, tell me what is it I would need to do um, to achieve that? Is there any advice that you'd give them? Yeah. Or can I ask a different version of the same question? Like, if, is there is there anything that's the like the low hanging fruit that you see over and over that, uh, or, or something that drives you crazy when you see it out in the marketplace, like, ah, why aren't these retailers doing this? Or don't they realize that this is the thing that could be the, the biggest positive change for them? If only they would do it. What I would say, you know, especially on the online channel where a lot of that shopping is moving to, uh, you know, web, uh, web, uh, channels. One is that proactive, uh, customer communication uh, and this is this goes back to when consumers have anxiety and they don't know what happens next mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. consumers you know are so used to instant gratification with whether uh, how we consume digital goods music or movies is all about streaming instant gratification you know when you uh, order for your uh, ride share whether it is lyft or uber if you know you have to wait for, wait for more than five minutes we cancel and we replace the orders same thing happens online if you have to wonder where is my order and I have to pick up the phone and call the call center, you know, you lose that 
customer at that point. So proactive communication, even if you know, it's going to be delayed by a day because a truck broke down or warehouse is running late, you have to build that trust and credibility with the consumer that you, the brand will be the first one to reach out to you versus you are wondering what happened. So that seemingly simple, but that proactive communication uh, of providing the right information in a transparent way um, it is seemingly simple, but really critical from the consumer perspective. Yeah, I think that that's sounds a good, that's, like good advice. Good. Yeah, I agree with that. No, very good. Very good advice. So, um, so thank you very much, Amit, for joining us today. If people wanted to get hold of you, how 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 should they get hold of you? I mean, the easiest way to visit our uh, company website uh, is n a r v as in Victor a r dot com, and that's the best way to learn more about uh, Narwar and uh, get in touch with us. Great. Okay, good. Well, I'm going to go back and look at my sunglasses and try to figure out what this limited lifetime warranty is all about. Um, maybe we'll do a show on the finer points of the um, uh, return policies for limited lifetime wallet, uh, lifetime warranties. Maybe that'll be a fun or not so fun uh, podcast. Oh, I think um, there's demand for that. Oh, no, <laughs> definitely. Tell me about it. So thanks very much, Eric, again, really, really good of you to uh, join and come and share your thoughts. Um, and um, uh, I would encourage everybody to go out and check check out the website. Um, and um, I guess, Ryan, we will talk to everybody next week. Yeah, thanks, Amit. It was a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Colleen. I promise to be back with you at the end of the show. To download our free book, Unlocking the Hidden Customer Experience, just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash cxbook. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash cxbook. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.